and welcome back to Comic Book Nation, your one-stop spot for all things geek culture. I'm your host, Kofi Outlaw, and today I'm in the studio with my co-host, Matthew Aguilar. Woo-doo! Our other host, Janelle Wheeler, is out today because she is enjoying some uh, pre-wedding festivities. Her and her fiancé are taking some much-needed relaxation joint time at the beach in preparation for their uh, nuptials. So we want to say congratulations to Janelle and uh, her man, Max, and have a good time, guys, because we are what are essentially the leftovers here, leftover in the studio, to hold down a show on a day that uh, we're thinking everybody yeah. is uh, here with us. We want to thank you, especially today, for no reason, but uh, thank you for being here with us on Comic Book Nation. And with Janelle out, we've uh, brought you a special guest, very special. Some of you are going to be real thrilled to see him up there in the upper window. Up oh, this side, this side, up no, this side, this side. Ah, oh, there he is over there, Mr. Chris Killian, host of Daily Distraction. And uh, one of our leading interviews in Celebrity Minglers is here with us today. Hi, guys. It's uh, good to be here. I wish I was outside also, but no, I, I came right back inside to hang out with you guys. Aww. Yeah, thank you, Chris Killian, for uh, helping us out. And uh, Chris Killian's here because he, like me, went out to see The Black Phone. Scott Derrickson, Dr. Strange, director Scott Derrickson's new film, is out in theaters now. And Chris Killian and I got the chance to see it early. Chris Killian, you got, as I said, Celebrity Mingler, you got to talk with the cast and Scott Derrickson and uh, do your thing. But uh, we are going to start the show off and we got a lot of stuff to do today. I know everybody's mind's a little fuzzy. I can already see it in the comments, but we got a good show. So let's get to it and start by talking about the black phone. Been a hot minute since we've had some really kind of high profile horror in theaters. Uh, we're back. It's good to have some horror back in theaters. And The Black Phone was a movie I didn't know anything about. I went into this completely cold. I've been doing this weird thing lately of not watching trailers or spoiling things for myself before seeing movies. Yeah. I just heard the buzz building up. I'm curious. I like Scott Derrickson. I loved Sinister. And I wanted to see what this movie was about. So I went in cold and I'll say uh, The Black Phone, I would say I would probably give it about a solid 3.5 out of 5 if we want to start with like a star rating. I think it is another solid piece of horror work from Scott Derrickson. I think this film is more on, I was talking with Chris Killian before this, more on a creepy vibe of like an episode of Tales from the Crypt or something, more so than like a horror movie that with jump scares that you're going to be kind of freaked out by the whole time. I since I went in cold, I'm not going to say too much about the premise, uh, obviously, it's from this creepy footage. Yeah, this one. I didn't watch trailers, but the creepy footage is a kid gets caught by a serial killer played by Ethan Hawke. And he's in stuck in this kind of room with this phone that mysteriously starts ringing and lets him communicate with other kids who have been in this room before him. So, like I said, there is a very kind of Twilight Zone or Tales from the Crypt kind of parable to this about, like, what is the kid learning? What's happening? Um, there's a lot of some other extra pieces that go into this movie that are can get a little bit jumbled. But overall, I think the strength is everybody in this cast, because it's a pretty tight ensemble cast. It's Ethan Hawke, this kid, the male character, his sister, their father, and some of these other kids you see as kind of dead, you know, ghosts. And everybody, all the performances are really strong in this movie. And you get to attach to the characters. You get attached to the kids. Ethan Hawke is just the, I mean, he's just killing it. I was right going to say, he's on a roll right yeah, now, Yeah, just playing 
creepy villains is right up his alley. I mean, if you've ever seen Taken Lives, you know about that with Angelina Jolie and him. But uh, in this one, he does such a good job. And I don't think they ever even show his face completely unobscured in this film. Like, I think every single scene he's in, there's some kind of thing that he's doing to his face. And it's still just such a wonderful, creepy performance from him. But that's enough for me. Chris Killian, the people generally trust you more than they ever trust me. So why don't you tell people what this film was about for you? I don't know that that's true, Kofi, but I also I agree with you. Right. I think that sometimes there are certain movies that going into it, like the less, you know, the better. So, you know, I'm hesitant to like I think you filled in like enough details that anybody needs to go see this movie. It's just it's a genuinely creepy movie. I wouldn't say that it's as scary as Sinister, but it is. It is creepy. It's very well made. We were talking about how well done the 70s aesthetics are in the movie. Like you really feel like you're in the 70s. And when I talked to Scott Derrickson, I mean, he had such great insight on what happened in his childhood that inspired him to adapt, you know, this story from Joe Hill to, you know, you know, to the big screen. And I do think that like this is one of the like a lot of problems that I see with movies that are adapted from short stories are that they you know, there's there's not a lot there to fulfill like a whole hour and a half. But I think that they did a really good job fleshing this out because I actually when this was over, it, it, it you know, feel like a whole I, say what? Sorry, you're echoing. I, I was looking at you. I like to see you on the screen, but also on my computer screen and video live. And oh, OK. Yeah. Chris just give my face twice. Or, That's nice. Yeah. Uh, no, I but I feel like uh, I went out afterwards and I bought the short stories, uh, you know, the, the whole compilation of books. Uh, the Joe, uh, the the stories that Joe Hill wrote, and I read the Black Phone, and this was a uh, this you know this was a good one, but they fleshed it out a good deal, and uh, it was great. And then Ethan Hawke talked about the mask, and he had some great insight on why like Arthur Harrow is like more of an antagonist, but the Grabber is a true villain because he's just evil. And one thing that I really enjoy about the movie is how Scott Derrickson doesn't feel the need to explain too much. I think that's a problem with modern horror is that you want to, you know, you, they, they, there's this tendency to delve into why people are the way they are. And that makes something to a degree, a little less scary, or it makes them more sympathetic. But I think that, I mean, I think, you know, the grabber, we, when you watch this movie, I mean, he shows up and don't expect any sort of reasoning for why he is the way he is or what he, why he's doing what he's doing. I mean, it just, it just is. And, uh, and that's so much more terrifying to me. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm of the classic horror school. I love the original Halloween because of that premise that it is just mm -hmm. some guy who shows yeah. up randomly in your little safe neighborhood and then things aren't so safe. Um, and right. like, this movie kind of plays with that to a great degree. So I think we all say like, you know, to sum it all up, Scott Derrickson, solid, very solid horror visionary, very solid director. Um, and, you know, I've been on this kick about kind of examining how productions are doing during the kind of COVID era of it all. And this one kind of played it very smart. Again, the way they kind of used space in a spare amount of people, but still made something very effective. I, I give style points just for that. And like Chris said, the 70s stuff, there is a whole first act of this that is really just about uh, two very kind of troubled kids in the 70s in their neighborhood, in their school, in their school life. And that all feels so well kind of realized and lived in and makes you really feel like this is a real kind of 70s neighborhood that this stuff is happening in with these kind of community and it's all very necessary for the story but uh good stuff man and i don't know if we mentioned it but the kids are fantastic oh, yeah. i mean i know we talked about it beforehand but no, i mean i can't go on about how likable these kids are yeah. mason thames and madeline mcgraw 
Dude, yeah, just Madeline a knockout McGraw. job is the brother yeah. and sister. I love them. Madeline McGraw is steals so many scenes. I mean, even I saw this with a regular audience let in, which can be, you know, aggravating. But she, every scene she was in, she just had the crowd like in unison, just like cracking up. There's a whole subplot with her and Jesus in this that is like one of the funniest things to watch, especially down here in the South. It was hilarious. But there's like a whole subplot just between her and Jesus that is great in this movie. So, yeah, she's a I mean, that girl's got future star written all over her. So I think they both do. I, I thought they were both awesome. But, yeah, I, I, I think that they, they they I'm looking forward to seeing what they do in the future because yeah, they got they're, yeah. they're great. It took me the whole thing. But the kid, the main kid reminded me of a young Jesse Eisenberg. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, that's that's who he kind of reminded me of. Like he has that quality. But um. Can't wait to see him as Lex Luthor in a future reboot of DC. All right. He does. Boy, looking at him in the trailer right now. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, just, right. Just Once you see like it. him. Once you yeah. see it. It's a All right. I do want to see this. So let's go to the creepy things in horror to creepy things in superhero TV. Chris, we also all watch The Boys this week. And wow, Rich. Wow. Rich is on point back yeah, there. Man, I didn't. On it. He was on it before I even got through my crazy little intro right there. Rich is killing it today. Um, so we saw, this is the week I didn't, I mean, yeah. So we didn't think today, we thought this would be the weirdest thing in our yeah. day today would be the boys hero gasm episode, but the universe said, hold its beer. But let's talk about the boys season three, episode six. This was the infamous hero gasm episode adapted from the kind of spinoff limited series of the main boys comics, which also kind of examined this, but in a very different way we know now, right? Like. This was a departure from the comics, except for in the sense that there was a superhero orgy, right? Yeah. But um, I got to say, I liked this more than just the depraved absurdity of the comic. Uh, and I was surprised by how much of this episode, how much more there was to it than just the kind of shock and awe mm-hmm. of the actual hero gasm event, which was still shocking, but still like... But it felt as one piece of yeah. a... Much. Of, of a, a very cohesive whole. It felt yeah. like one, oh, hey, we want to shock you. But everything else was like, there was real, yeah. I'm trying not to say one particular word. There was meat there. <laughs> I was trying not to say that, but dang it. I can't, I can't avoid it. I got to get it around there. Anyway. Oh, man. Well, yeah. This was overall one of the tightest episodes of The Boys I think I've seen. Oh, this just all sounds wrong. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I think the marketing for this was brilliant too, because like they've really pushed like the, the, uh, just how depraved this episode is. And it was so much so that when I finally saw it, and I, I saw it a couple of weeks ago with some previews that I, I was like, oh, this isn't as bad as I was expecting, especially if you're familiar with that that issue of the comics. I mean, they're never gonna get as 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 nasty as the comics are. I don't I just don't think you can. But but I think uh I think they're selling themselves short on just how like well done the episode is. It's not just a big porno. It's it's a really great episode. So I agree with you guys. Well, like any good porno, it has a great story attached first. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, <laughs> wow. So not let's talk about that, that story. No, he said that. I didn't say that. Worse. Yeah, but you said worse by saying not even touching that. Not even going there. Yeah, we know when she'll touch her nothing. Let's go. So back to the boys. Yes, this episode had a lot more substance to it, a lot more kind of character development and things that were surprising, like the whole uh, Congressman Newman thing Mm -hmm. kind of progressed very fast in a a way I didn't expect them to do. Um, Yeah, that I didn't think we'd get this big action set piece that we got in this episode. Oh, my God. As like all forces converged on this orgy and everybody was in the house. Like a lot of stuff got worked out in this orgy house. That sequence. Just so the boys, right? Absolutely ruled. 
Oh yeah, <laughs> that sequence of them, those three fighting yeah. and like that was. Oh, it was four actually. Four, yeah, well, yeah. Always forget about human. Yeah, yeah, that really <laughs> does, right? It's, but that that sequence, just like when when he comes down and like they're fighting and everything, and he has that moment, like even when they're fighting, and his like butcher's facial expressions are just brilliant. They're just brilliant throughout that entire fight. Like he's just so cocky. He's so happy. Like he's so happy that oh, he yeah. can like throw down with Homelander and like well, man, this is Anthony Starr is so scary when you see Homelander yeah. finally fight. Even though everybody also, you know, they were on the same ground as him. I was still terrified because he just looks so crazy. And like, it took yeah. you know, it took three of them to just like and uh, yeah. Danny mentioned this. Homelander getting a black eye is huge. Now, like it's it means something when oh, yeah. you even dent someone like that. It's, oh yeah. Chris, what'd you think about uh, this whole action-y actioner? Oh, I love it. I mean, I've been a big fan of the boys for a long time. And I, I mean, I, we always knew that Homelander was just a terrible crap person. But I mean, he's just been put on another level this yeah. season. I think that he's like reaching like the level of, you know, I don't Darth Vader, Hannibal Lecter level like villain. He's just he's so awful. And so, yeah, to finally see him get taken down a peg and it's hard for me to talk about because I know what happens for the whole season. So I'm trying to like, I don't want to spoil it for anybody about what's, yeah, what's coming yeah, up, but Stark this, this, this season was just up. fantastic. You're burdened by knowledge, Stark. We know. <laughs> it's so, yeah, there's just um, so much to this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And like, yeah, I mean, just great acting. People say in the comments, yeah, and I agree. Great acting. I mean, you know, Laz Alonzo as Mother's Milk in this episode. He's been um, killing it all season. Yeah. Aaron Moriarty as Starlight is just doing a fantastic job. And Jensen Eccles is just killing it as Soldier yes. Boy. Just so, like, on the line of somehow being. <laughs> Like equally or even more so unlikable than Homelander yeah. is a hard thing to do. Um, but Jensen Eccles is somehow named. And then still having oh. though these moments of where you sympathize. Where, where, yeah, yeah, because like when he's having that conversation with Huey last episode or whatever, and they're going back and forth, like you're oh, like you almost buy it. You know, like you're almost like, okay, I can see why he won so many people over back then. Like yeah. I can see why he was put on this pedestal. Uh and we even talked about early in the season where like it was like, where's Jensen Nichols? Like, where's Soldier Boy? He was supposed to be such a big part of this. And I do think that some of that, while we could have gotten him involved sooner, probably, I'm sure. I do like, I think the slow burn on that has helped here because we're finally, we're so excited to see him actually like put into action and those chess pieces are now on the board. I don't think that hits as hard if he's in from the very get-go and we, and we see this kind of play out at the same time. Because like it meant something when they find him in the machine. Yeah, it, it meant something when you finally get there. It felt like a payoff. So I don't know. Like retroactively, that looks like it was not a bad decision. Where I know it got a lot of flack at the beginning. Yeah, and uh, the whole yeah. Soldier Boy arc is incredible. Uh, also, I, I mean, we kind of touched upon like Huey having uh, superpowers, but. I love Huey with superpowers. <laughs> it's my favorite thing. Like, and, and, and you, I feel like it, it's, it's like you feel for the guy because like, he really like feels like he wants to save starlight. Like in that spot where he like teleports her out. And yeah. I just, I just love that. I, I think that, I mean, you, you know, that he's got to stop doing it and it's going to, it's really not going to pan out well for him. But ha Huey with superpowers is my favorite. Yeah, no, I mean him and butcher both doing this. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like it made, that fight scene and just the complications of them kind of compromising their own values to do this. Like, great. 
And we even got a confrontation between Huey and A-Train, which is so long ago that I had forgotten about it. That that until, still hadn't yeah, been like wrapped resolved up. Resolved <laughs> until he was like, you never yeah. apologize. And I was like, oh, the boys has thrown so much at us. You know, like, yeah, you forget that this is like the main inciting thing that set this series off. And uh, yeah, so also in this episode, I mean, for all the sex and explicitness warnings, like, yeah, the, the deaths in this episode are the really gruesome things. Like... Yeah, A Train and uh, I think Blue that Hawk. one might be the worst one. Oh, I don't know. That yeah. was bad. <laughs> yeah. Which which one is it? A Train and who? Blue Hawk. Yeah, Blue Hawk. Ray oh, Ray. oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That was great. I, 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 I don't want to say I loved it, but, but you that, know, I but think of was, all the deaths in that in yeah. that episode, that one was the roughest, just because of yeah. the way it plays out. And yet, I didn't feel bad for that dude at all. <laughs> So, you know, yeah, I was good with it. And Kamiko just going, you know, full. You know, X twenty three on a guy with a nail is uh is pretty hardcore too. Those so. two, I feel like, by the way, too. I, Mother's Milk to me is the MVP of the season, just because man, he steals every scene he's in. All the stuff with his his daughter, yeah, like all those scenes are amazing. However, Frenchie and, and Kamiko have really also received a lot of. Uh, they've had some steam stealers this this season. I would and watch a whole thing about them in the underworld. Just they're like fantastic. Yeah. They're so yeah. good. So I feel like Karen in these Fukuhara last two episodes, just, yeah. they've gotten a welcome spotlight. Karen Fukuhara. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't let's let's move on before I you know. Such a good episode. Yeah, man. I'm not trying to creep out, but uh, I love you, Karen Fukuhara. <laughs> <laughs> I know why Kobe's want to move on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Gotta move on. All right. So. Oh my God. Boys is killing it. Um, yeah, so this episode was a high for the season, just not for the reasons we thought. And I was pleasantly surprised about that. So congrats on the boys. This, they're killing it this season. All right, let's talk about Obi-Wan. All right, Obi-Wan Kenobi finale. That was my Vader voice. That's, it was good. good. I liked it. I enjoyed it's it. Right. But uh, yeah, we got to the end of Obi-Wan. And for me, I mean, you know, Star Wars is never going to make some people happy. Even though they're going to keep with Star Wars, it'll, it's like having a foot. It's like having it's like it's like being a fan of the Mets or the Eagles or the Chicago, Co you know, Chicago teams. It's just like you're loyal to it. It might never make you happy for a very long time, but some people just hang in there anyway. So, yeah, somehow, some people pro wrestling has the same sort of vibe, right? You'll yeah. go you'll watch pro wrestling for years before you get a storyline that makes you feel like, oh, this is why I watch pro wrestling. Yeah. Um, but I, but I feel like I mean, I made this point right on on Daily Distraction that like I'm kind of tired of people saying that this ruins Star Wars. Like I've heard enough people being like Obi Wan is ruining Star Wars. When I feel like nothing has to ruin Star Wars for you. Like if it, it's fine if you don't like Obi Wan, you know you cannot watch it, and nobody's telling you that the originals you can't go back and enjoy right. them. You know, like I get so frustrated. It's, it's like I made the point of like it's like telling me that like all of these Terminator sequels that we got that were so terrible somehow makes Terminator Two not a perfect action movie. And it will always be a perfect action movie. I don't care how many people, right. you know, or how many Terminator sequels come out afterwards that just ruin it for me. It, it doesn't really ruin it. You know what I mean? I, like, I, so I don't know why people get hung up on saying that it ruins it for them. Like, just don't watch it. I've like, said if, it forever. If, if, if like, you're worried about that, then what? No, I've said it forever that like when someone says, oh, that ruined my childhood, I immediately check out of that conversation. <laughs> I, mean, I have no I mean, tolerance there's been some for sprints. like... Stand-up comedians, we're not going to go into them or mention all of them. I'm not sure which ones are safe to mention. I think Chris Killian is still safe to mention. But uh, 
They do. I mean, I've heard some great bits about this. About really, that's what ruined right, your childhood. Yeah. It's a mean. Uh, right, that's as, what did it. That's as soon none of those repressed that. memories. That's exactly. what ruined your childhood. <laughs> I, but but I agree with Chris. Star Wars, but uh, yeah. yeah, like that that mentality of like some one thing can come along and just like knock all everything else out. It's just to me. Well, ridiculous. I feel like every time we talk about Star Wars lately, we get veered into some kind of side conversation about Star Wars fandom, which is you know. You guys, Star Wars fans, have traumatized poor Janelle to the point where I don't think she can even press play on a Disney Plus Star Wars show anymore. But uh, it's unfortunate, man. I don't know why. It just is a time to just lay down my own policy, which is I share Star Wars with no one until I know it's safe. So I just enjoy Star Wars on my own because it's safe that way. I just watch. Oh, I'll share it with everybody. I don't care at all. I like you can come at me, it. and I think you're a big giant idiot because it's my opinion and it's not yours. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it's it's ridiculous because, like, you know, they didn't even know. Let's go for let's go way back to the original Star Wars, right? They didn't even know that Darth Vader was Luke's father when they wrote that. Right. They didn't know that till halfway through they were filming. You know, The Empire Strikes Back. Things change, and you can't continue. You know, if you want more stuff from this character, at some point you just got to let go. That like some things, there's going to be some little inconsistencies. You just got to let things go if you want more. But if you don't want more, and you don't, if you're so precious about it that you don't want it to get ruined, then stop watching. That's all you have to do. And but let people enjoy it if they're going to enjoy it. I can't stand people like that. I just hate it. It's just so funny that Chris started us where like at at that point of like the some of the flack that the show has received right because after watching this episode and like watching the series in its entirety a series mind you that kofi knows i was not excited about when it was announced <laughs> i could have really Very cared less one. i could have cared less i was like i don't need another obi-wan story it's just not for whatever reason right and then watching each of these episodes like oh my god this this slowly became kind of what halo did for me where it was like it became my favorite thing to watch and there have been some amazing things out there releasing at the same time right but i'm like this is the one that i kind of save for last it's like it's always got something right and by the end of this this is easily one of my favorite star wars projects ever oh yeah me too it's, it's just not it's not even close i mean there's a couple that are up there and this is now up there this is fan fantastic from beginning to end like what a yeah. phenomenal job they did episode two was the only one that was kind of like I was like, eh, for episode two. And that right. was it. I could have taken episode one and two as one big release. I get why they didn't. But other than that, since episode two, like, yeah, I've been in. Episode three was awesome. Uh, episode four was a little slower, but still good. And episode five and six were just amazing. And the last duel well, between Vader and Obi-Wan, I mean, that's what this all hinged on. Yeah. And the payoff was there. So, like, I'm not mad. And I think... What I like about these Star Wars series and the comics that we read and the books that we're reading, which we do all of on this show, your one-stop spot for all things geek culture, <laughs> is that uh, they actually, if you let them in, they actually do find many ways to make the larger saga more cohesive and resonant. We did a whole article about how this series completes an entire trilogy about just Vader's helmet, right? Yeah. And, and it getting cut because... Obi-Wan cuts one side of it here. Later on, years later, Ahsoka will fight him and she cuts the other side open. And then finally, Luke cuts the whole thing open and gets it off his head. And this is all the kind of flashes of, yeah. you know, Anakin coming back through Vader and eventually Luke completing that whole journey. So now it's actually a motif that's run throughout the series and builds up and you can track it across all these projects 
both animated, TV, movie, and like, but still the thematic power is there. And so I'm not mad at that. And there's nothing this series did to break continuity or make me think. The only thing is I was trying to, the only thing this series did, and you know, I had to admit at the end, as a 40-year-old man now, how good is my memory at 10? Like, would I remember every <laughs> single person? Would I remember a person I met for like a weekend? Even if it was like on some quest, I would remember who they are, but I probably wouldn't remember their face, a whole lot of details about them because I was 10, you know? And that even when I was 30, I don't remember a whole lot about people who I met when I was 10. So the whole Leia Obi-Wan thing wasn't like a stretch for me. Like she would know vaguely who he was, yeah. but not like, yeah. you know, remember him that personally because and she knows that he saved her and that's yeah. i mean and that's the the whole thing is like obi-wan you're the only one who can help us like why would she think that well he saved her when she was right. 10 yeah and she knows what you know father knew like yeah and so like yeah some lines of dialogue from a new home might seem clunky now but as chris said they didn't know any of this yeah. when they were doing that film that film was just a simple adventure hero's adventure journey if you really want to get technical he didn't know that he was going to be saving and possibly making out with his sister or that the bad guy was his father or that all these other things were going to come into play later. So, you know, always take Star Wars with that kind of grain of salt. I also go, know based off of my conversation. Go back and fix the incest of to make it not creepy. OK, so like that's where we're at with this series. I also know based off my conversation with Liam Neeson that Liam's a liar. Yeah, he is. Liam Neeson. I feel like people have just straight up, I mean, Andrew Garfield, Liam Neeson, these men we love, they just look us in the face and they lie. No, no, I love I love that Liam lied to me. Please lie to me more. I thought it was fantastic seeing uh, Qui-Gon for just a split second. That was so and, uh, you know, and he said that he wanted to return for a movie. That's what he told me. He was like, he would love to return, but not for a TV show for a movie. So maybe this is, if this is teasing some sort of like uh, adventure between Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon, the force ghost, I'm, I'm all in for it. So if that's where it's headed. I'll, I'll take that. Yeah. Let's go around the room. That's a good, that's a good kickoff. So you'd be in for Obi-Wan season two. Oh, or, 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 or like I said, or a film, uh, either or, but yes, I, I would, I don't, I'm in for all of it. You know, if it's well-made and well-written, and there's clearly care that goes into it. It's not just simply a cash grab. Then I'm I'm there for it, Matt. I am now, man. I I, I would love a second series, too, if I had my preference. But a movie, yeah, I'm down for a movie. And there's just so much here, man. That final that final battle was amazing. Yeah, you gotta be careful. There's also some Star Wars comics uh, that also cover. I mean, Obi Wan's outfit from that and going into the canyons and all that. This is also a tie into Star Wars comics. So some of this has been explored, but there are many chapters still open from his life. Um, the transcending force goes, you can make a fun thing of that, him going, sharing that with like, and maybe meeting with Yoda again one yeah. last time. There's a lot you could do. So I think we're learning how expansive they can really make these things in unexpected ways. So I'd be down again. Um, and I'd be down for a Vader series. The Vader comics are so yeah. good. And like, yeah, Hayden Christensen really sold me on this. Oh my that, gosh. Yeah, and that whole final scene, that thing, you know, With the, the scariest the thing I yeah. saw this week was him talking about murdering Anakin Skywalker and like, you know, all of that and really getting that Darth Vader, Anakin divide and persona down. Um, yeah, I would love to see It was a smile. It yeah. was like, when, and then the light changes, right? Because the yeah. same light, I mean, they Yeah, they that was Deborah Chow apart. killed that scene. Oof. Like, yeah, chilling stuff. So, Obi-Wan, I'm down with it. I want more Star Wars TV. I'm excited. Yay. And uh, Moses Ingram, I think, really did her thing. And mm -hmm. Reva's story 
I want to. I would love to see more. I mean, there are characters we've seen that could go forward. That seems Star like Wars. the most logical yeah. step for a next series, right? That that one seems the most like, hey, we clearly set it up. <laughs> I better get some through. Reva in that Jedi Survivor game. I want to see her link up with Cal Kestis. Oh um, man! Oh yeah. boy! Look yeah. at you. Let's get some co-op. Speaking right. of, speaking of future stuff, where do you? I mean, have you guys heard that rumor about the Cal Kestis, you know, thing? Yeah. Like, what do you think he's going to pop up in? I think a series about Cal Kestis would be smart. I mean, if there's especially if there's going to be like a time jump between the games, like filling in things with Cal Kestis and stuff like that. You got an actor who's very viable. All those actors who are in the game are viable for TV. Like you might as well flip it and fans want it. Why not? I also think after Obi-Wan might have inadvertently gotten, you know, the ball rolling on some Starkiller, Force Unleashed stuff. Yeah. Richard's in the comments and saying yes, please. Uh, Richard, you can uh, you know if we have the capability there. to pop you in here and oh you can uh, God, you amazing. can uh, talk to us and you can make your case. All right, Richard's got to run the show, but he, he says he's in. We want that, uh, <laughs> that, that Galen so Malick Force Unleashed kind of live action introduction. So I love it, man. Yeah, why not? I mean, Darth Vader's Apprentice would be a great story, so why not? Oh. And that'd be great for a Vader series. Let's just combine the two. All right. Uh, I think that's it for Chris Killian. He's done his due diligence today, uh, popping on to our little show. You can always catch him on Daily Distraction, which is on Comic Book YouTube and streaming on Paramount Plus, along with us here on Comic Book Nation. So, uh, Chris Killian, thank you. It was a pleasure, my friends. Thank you. <laughs> Damon Stream says that uh, Liam Neeson went to the Garfield Academy, which, uh, yes, he did for uh, lying to people about roles, so. <laughs> All right, Chris Killian's out. We are gonna take a break, but when we come back, we still gotta break down the Umbrella Academy season three review we have, the latest episode of Miss Marvel we watch, plus we're gonna have a special guest on for some wrestling talk. So we will be back in about a couple minutes. Stay tuned, Comic Book Nation. Welcome back to Comic Book Nation, your one-stop spot for all things geek culture. Now in the podcast, we will be shifting from TV, Star Wars, and horror movies. And we've transformed Chris Killian. We've given him a Super Saiyan upgrade into uh, his new form. And uh, he's here to talk about wrestling. I'm just kidding. It's our regular wrestling host slash most regular co-guest co-host. He really is. Yeah, yeah, yeah he I is. think he's the... We need to, like, assemble that, yeah, like, list. Yeah, no, he, I mean, he wins by far. Connor Casey oh, yeah. is on. I was going to say, guys, I'm on this show so much. Where's my fan art? Where, where, where's me drawn <laughs> as John Cena? Help me out here, guys. Come on. You're getting in drawn in wrestling spandex. Are you sure you're ready for that? Because uh, Oh, yeah. I'm more than ready. We have a John Cena one for you. You just can't see it. Uh, <laughs> boom! Hey, Kablam! All right, oh, man. Now kicking that off. Now that you've spoken, Matt, why don't you keep speaking? And tell us about some wrestling stuff. <laughs> why don't you and Connor inform us what is going on? Connor, there's stuff going on in wrestling, not even domestically, overseas now, right? What's happening? Uh, Correct. But the big show that is happening this Sunday is actually at the United Center in Chicago. It's a crossover that a lot of fans have been waiting a long time to see. It's AEW X and JPW's Forbidden Door. Uh, basically, this is what if Marvel met DC for a big old pay-per-view where the big heroes fight each other. Um, like I said, this is an event that a lot of fans have wanted to see because for AEW, at least, 
a lot of their stars got their first big break on the international scene via New Japan Pro Wrestling. So you've got a lot of matches people have been kind of aching to see simply because thanks to COVID, there wasn't a lot of crossover between these two guys for a long time. Now, when you look at this card and Matt, I, I wanted, I, I made this comparison and I wanted to see how you feel about this. This feels to me like an ECW one night stand 2005. And what I mean, my mean by that is that some of the big players are involved, but because of circumstance and for others, there's a big old injury bug going around right now. So you got big stars like CM Punk, Kenny Omega, and Brian Danielson off this card. It feels like, Hey, this is a great first show, but bigger things will happen down the road. Like how we all talk about one night stand 2006. I can, I can see that. I guess I'm just so used to the, especially like the last like two years, the injury bug happens at like the most inconvenient times. Right. So right. kind of used to, I think it's only if one of those names were out, I wouldn't, I wouldn't feel that way. I feel like it's injuries happen. Wrestling happens mm -hmm. all the time. It's, it's normal for someone to be missing. But the fact that like three, especially punk punks, the one that hits the most because of just coming after he won the title, it's <laughs> just coming after that. And now the whole interim thing, which I'm still a little shaky on, any way yeah. of like why we're doing that like just you know if you're gonna let him hold it like let him let him hold it but i can see that i can see that thing i do still think that this card more so than ecw's there's a lot still left though on this card like there's still a lot there and i know like other people like andrade can't compete like there's a bunch of other reasons for that too right and other right. stuff but even still like you look at this card and it's pretty impressive, even without those big names. There's still a lot of big names left. For sure. And, and just to kind of give you guys a sense of what we're dealing with, uh, John Moxley versus Hiroshi Tanahashi. Tana is basically their version of John Cena. He's held their world title more than anybody, and he's held it for thousands of days more than anybody else. And a match between him and Moxley is something that honestly had been chased around for about three years and we're finally getting it here even though this was not the original plan tony right. khan has said it himself it was supposed to be tana versus punk which also would have been great but i think moxley brings a lot more physicality to it you also have guys like jay white who has really stepped up as new japan's top international star uh, in a rare four-way for the heavyweight title alongside hangman page and adam cole everybody knows and Kazuchika Okada, who, if you watch Dynamite this week and wondered, hey, why did this random blonde Japanese guy get the loudest reaction of the night? <laughs> it's because this dude is legit one of the best wrestlers in the world and has been for quite some time. The, the match that put Kenny Omega on the map, uh, his dance partner was Okada. And while a lot of people have followed the Kenny Omega train, Okada has been right alongside him, putting on some of the best matches of the past decade. And, and then you get further down the card, you have matches. I never considered them dream matches, but the moment somebody said them, I go, oh, I need to see that. I need to see Orange Cassidy versus Will Ospreay and his 20 different finishers against a guy that barely halfway kicks you. I need to see Miro get in there with, I, I wish so badly that the injury bug didn't hit Tomohiro Ishii because it's just two big guys with no necks. But we're still, we're still getting Miro back on pay-per-view, which just thrills me to no end. Um, you're going to see guys like Shingo title of this show. You're going to see guys like Shingo Takagi and Hiromu Takahashi, who, if you've never seen them before, get ready for some of the coolest sequences you've ever seen in your life. Like this, 
I've heard the complaints that this show just doesn't have a lot of build behind it and that it is a very fan service show. And for this being the only time of the year that this happens, I'm more than okay with that. Because by the end of this four hour event, you're probably gonna be sitting there going, that was some of the coolest stuff I've seen all year, even though I don't know the backstory behind half these guys and a good chunk of them don't speak any English. Yeah. For, for certain events like this, I don't, I mean, is, I don't know. It's one of those things where if you're going to do a show like this, where it is more about the crossover than it is about long ranging storylines, like, yes, you want them to, you know, for like, it makes sense for Paige and for Cole, you want to work in long-term stuff for them because they're going to be doing stuff after this. And you want to be able to have them kind of pick up where they left off. Mm. But this is just for fun. Like this is not a typical, Hey, we're running our long-term storyline thing. It, if WWE were to do one with impact, I'd feel the same way. Or, you know right. what I mean? Like it's a one-off that doesn't happen very often. Who cares? We just want to see cool matches happen. It's, it's fine. You know what I mean? Just tell, just make sure that things stick within the realm that you were dealing with. So like mm. if you're start to set up something in the lead up to forbidden door, make sure that happens. But after that, we'll be good. We'll hit reset and we'll keep moving on. Uh, I, you know, and I've also seen the complaints, obviously, about the lack of women's matches. The one women's match that is on here is going to rule, by the way, because that is Thunder Rosa versus Tony Storm as a match I wanted for a minute. So that in itself is a dream match, even though it doesn't even involve international stuff. But at the same right. time, you know, people obviously bring up the point that like New Japan doesn't have a women's division there's a whole other yeah. promotion and that just for whatever reason didn't happen or they wanted to hold that for something else who knows but it's just like it fits within that so like stop complaining about good things this is cool right it's <laughs> it, it's hard to get mad at new japan for not having women's division or when they when the company that owns them owns a joshi wrestling company and no one's looking at that joshi company and saying hey why don't you have any men on this show right they no one would dare ask different yeah they own two different right ones. so really kofi did kind of put a visual on this someone took two toy chests mashed them together and said play with them and we've gotten some pretty amazing matchups as a result so i you know i come on here often and i complain about why certain storylines don't make sense or certain business decisions left me kind of scratching my head hi roman reigns versus brock lesnar part seven we'll get to you later but for now this one i'm just gonna enjoy the ride I, I'm uh, you had one hot button question in the comments if you want to tackle it, Connor. Oh, fire away. <laughs> uh, it was, what do you think the odds are that Vince McMahon is going to come out and try to do a peacock strut around and parade himself to kind of amidst the controversy kind of as a show of, you know, strength? We, we, we that's what we've gotten for the past week on, on both SmackDown and Raw. He's just kind of come out said, hey, everybody, uh, I'm here still. I'm going to soak up the adulation now and leave. Um, he, he's already been doing that. I hope it stops because it's just kind of weird at this point. And it's it's disheartening that he is taking this so callously. But um, but yeah, you know, if we, we can get into the whole issue with Vince. I think that the investigation is just one big Schrodinger's cat of it could be the biggest thing the biggest story since the, the death of WCW in terms of the wrestling world, or it could be nothing. We, yeah. we still don't know. And I, I feel like more information needs to come out. But for now, I'm very fine if Vince just stops showing up on TV. Do I'm you also think fine. that he will, do you think <laughs> he will do an appearance where he does that sequence from Wolf of Wall Street? 
Well, Vince doesn't watch movies, so there's no way he knows what that is. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Let's go. Let's move on. Connor Casey, thank you very much for uh, coming on and blessing us with some wrestling highlights. This sounds like a great event. Japan, where Japanese wrestling is amazing. So, oh yeah, it's right up yeah, there guys. Chador wrestling. Stick around. Stuff. Stay tuned for all that live coverage on Sunday. We got it. We got a bunch of guys uh, chomping at the bit to write about this stuff. So, this comicbook.com/slash wrestling. All right. Thank you, Connor. We didn't pay that much of the internet bill, so Connor Casey's gone, and uh, here we are. <laughs> we didn't pay for We just had a big R there where there used to be a person. So it stands for... Matt, it's just you and me now. It's kind of awkward. It's like we're back in the office. Oh, on man. Yeah. But uh, let's talk about Ms. Marvel Episode 3. So this is the halfway point, I believe, right, of the series. It's only mm-hmm. six episodes. I liked this episode. Um, I also, but I, I'm also a little bit concerned at this point about how much marveling I'm going to get in this Ms. Marvel series um, and what kind of level of action we're going to be able to achieve uh, here. So slight concerns, not at all with Iman Vellani or the character of Kamala Khan or any of that stuff that we've been praising of the show, the world, the char- you know, her family, the characters. All of this kind of got really brought into focus in mm-hmm. this episode. Yeah. I mean, it was a family wedding. How do yeah. you not? Party episodes. If you've ever done writing school, parties are always hot button things where a bunch of stuff comes up and, you know, personal, emotional stuff comes bubbling to the surface. We got all of that. And there's a lot tackled in this episode. Yeah, there is yeah. a lot tackled. Um, and we got a pretty, pretty cool battle sequence with, uh, you know, Kamala Khan and Ms. Marvel and still kind of using her powers for an actual fight and all that. But um, yeah, like I said, just... Slight concerns because this is the halfway point. So what do you mean by marveling? Uh, just kind of, I thought like, I still think even with the powers change, the power sets we're using are, can be very difficult to kind of realize in live action. Okay. And I think for somebody like Hori Manvalani trying to do like the wire work and all this stuff, she's still obviously going to have to get used to this stuff. Mm-hmm. And so it's still kind of, it's a little rough around the edges in terms of Marvel okay. level okay. action. Yeah. This was more like, CW Netflix action, and I'm not trying to criticize it because I, I, like I said, I think we're dealing with a power set that's incredibly difficult to realize in live action, and they're doing a pretty good job. Yeah, like the big fist thing. Yeah, like, I love that. Boom, stuff. spectacular moment. But just some of the hopping on the discs and stuff like that gets a little wonky with the. The hopping work. on the disc one is the one that I because I agree with you. That's the one that always kind of like I always give a little side eye, and it's not anything because I think it's a cool ability. I just haven't yet. Like, I don't know. It just hasn't, that one hasn't clicked for me. I'm, I'm hoping by like, you know, episode five and six, they've kind of figured out that how to integrate that better and showcase that more of like why that's a thing. So, but even seeing her do it, I mean, I love the second episodes. Yeah, it makes sense. The second episode. So it makes sense there. But it's just like when I see stuff like that, I agree. It is kind of a case by case basis. Some things yeah. work better than others. It just, the wire work in a battle sequence looks a little, it gets crazy because yeah. it's like 2000s I think is what it felt like. Hmm. And I'm not trying to criticize because I enjoyed Miss Marvel and I enjoyed this episode again for mostly the family drama and yeah. the kind of inner kind of the personal stuff of it all, right? Well, that's where this series shines. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm not so... Marvel is dipping into some weird places. And this week alone, we have a name drop of the Shadow Realm in Thor Love and Thunder and Clandestine in Ms. Marvel, which both of those things are such obscure, yeah. like, Marvel <laughs> references that I'm just like, 
oh man, is this, is Mephisto ever going to be involved in any of this? Because it just seems like we're going in directions I didn't expect. I, but here's the thing though, as in, we'll <laughs> Damon Stream says, shout out to the four people who knew what I know. Okay. So it's funny because when you, even when you go in, right. And like, <laughs> so of course, when things like this happen and there's like big pools or very obscure pools from Marvel history, it's like, Hey, what are they? And then you like, like if you were to describe them out, it's like, well, they're a team that like were kind of made from this and then they didn't really work. So they just kind of went away. It was a bad <laughs> 90s idea, kids. A really bad and 90s idea. Like, there's a decade that was filled to the brim with bad comic were, book ideas. What was the thing you were talking about? Was it last episode or the episode before where you were like, there's Wonder Man. You yeah. were like, there's no, there's nothing. I will, Wonder Man has 10 times the amount no, of dive yeah, back than the yeah. <laughs> Wonder <laughs> Man's wiki is a freaking encyclopedia compared to clandestine. But I do love the idea though that they, again, this is what the MCU does really well. This is why I always want to give credit because I know I can be critical of the MCU yeah. and stuff. But I always want to give credit because this is actually what they do because they took this very obscure thing. They they tweaked them and made them 100 percent instead of because they were kind of this half. There was a, a lot of ideas explored in that original thing, but they were kind of half. Right. And so here we have them full. And I always I'm afraid I'm going to butcher the word. Is it the gin? Is it yes, the gin? Djinn. 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 OK, so they're now 100 percent that they've now worked them into the history of the bangle, her uh, like descendants. And yeah. so there's some really cool stuff that they've made it, they've tied it in personally and then also tying it to the, like the other world. And like, yeah, we have they're to get also, back. There's some really also cool tying stuff. together a, a whole MCU kind of Asiatic right. region because they also bring in references to Shang-Chi. Oh, which I love, um, by the way. There's possible connections between the bangle, yeah. the bangle and the 10 rings and the whole Asiatic side of the world has apparently its own kind of mythos going. <laughs> And Damon Streams is in here killing Norton, it. Norton is great. <laughs> he's like, Doctor Strange is bad at his job. <laughs> yeah. He's not wrong. He's, no, he's Doctor not Strange has not prevented the, the, the Shang-Chi thing <laughs> happening. The yes, clandestine happening. A near birth of an eternal. The whole Masters of the Mystics arts were sleeping on that. Never the Scarlet job. Witch <laughs> taking over a town and killing nearly everybody. And he went and asked her for help. Yeah, and, and he went and asked the one one person. You're not supposed to ask for help. Oh Doctor Strange God. is like, yo, can you help a brother out? <laughs> oh yeah, man, like, they, yeah. That, so that he is, is not good his job. Uh, Damon Streams is also killing it on things. He's like, I officially call them the Y Men. They want to be X Men, but why do they exist? That's very true. Wow. So, um, but I also think, yes, I think Marvel Studios has also learned that we're all maniacs and the minute they say the mm -hmm. name of something, we're all going to go ballistic. And now they're just trolling us by picking these obscure names that they're going to retrofit into some, they're going to refit into something completely different. Which is awesome. Yeah. That's and so, so it's cool. going to be a completely different version of this. But like you said, like, yeah, they can be their own kind of djinn or also inhabitants of Shang-Chi's dimension. Right. And like where are, where those people came from and all that. And then now there's also a question, right? Because like you see the the hand and you see that stuff, right? And you're like, you assume it's Cree because obviously blue, right? You assume it's Cree, but then you work this and you're like, oh, are they leaning more towards that? That whole their whole introduction introduces more questions, yeah. which is cool because just stuff you assumed. And I still kind of assume it would be Cree, but because that makes sense tying in with Carol and all that other stuff. But still, it, it's cool to have a little bit of mystery there. So just introducing this obscure group did so much. And I and I love what they're what they're doing. Yeah.
And so, yeah, and Cameron is still kind of a questionable character about where we've done a lot of theories about like kind of some of the references to Bollywood and his character. And he might turn out to be a really kind of big antagonist by the end of this. So, uh, yeah, I just hope the last three, I think we're going on a road trip. We're doing a road trip episode next mm -hmm. episode and to uh, Pakistan. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I'm going to be interested to see that. I love when Moon Knight went to Egypt, but I hope Pakistan is a kind of really mythos building episode at the same time and brings us back. And that when we get back, you know, Bruno will have Kamala's new suit ready yeah. for her, you know, and we'll be ready to go. It feels like they did a lot of the tomorrow. setup work for like all the Marvel tie in stuff here. Yeah. So in, in retrospect, looking at Moon Knight, Egypt did that when they went to Egypt. That was a lot of the one where they kind of tied in all these things. And that was the super heavy. Oh, my God, this could be three episodes on its own. Yeah. Hopefully this one was kind of that. And then we can move into the final three episodes of like. All right, let's establish stuff and just keep the train moving. So well, I'm I think, I think Pakistan will be the kind of origin that tells us who her great grandmother yeah. was, how this is tied to Captain Marvel, Lacree, anybody else, yeah. all that stuff. Um, yeah, and but I hope really that's like that. I hope that's the singular focus. focus. Yeah, that's what I, I saw yeah. so too. Yeah. Because Marvel Disney Plus shows do really well with those episodes. Yeah, like uh, anything that goes back through time, flashback, look at things. Uh, whether it's WandaVision's whole look at Wanda's life when Agatha did it, or Moon Knight's whole trip through Mark Spector's head and past that's and all fantastic. that. Like all that stuff works really well. So I hope that we get it with Kamala's family, and you know that Amon Vellani doesn't have to carry all of it. We get to see some awesome kind of Asiatic actresses do some cool stuff with the past, right? And partition which also um, should educate people about partition, which a lot of Americans don't know what that is. So it'll be a great time to kind of let people know, like, I mean, just like Watchmen did for, you know, mm -hmm. Tulsa City Massacre and all that stuff. So we can learn a few things. All right. But uh, yeah, uh, Miss Marvel, still a work in progress for me. I, I know I love this character. I know I'm going to love her when she's in the full-fledged MCU, but uh, I hope they really nail the landing on this series. I really do. All right. So Umbrella Academy season three. Keeping with it. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Oh, uh, no, it has never happened in four seasons. That is uh, ridiculous. Well, there's first forever. Yeah. All right. Umbrella Academy season three. Uh, I'm not going to get too crazy here because I'm only I've, we're still working our way through the season with these Netflix yeah. binges. Obviously, we don't want to go too far in. You guys are probably just getting started. Uh, I'm about three, four episodes in, and oh. I got to say, I'm pleasantly surprised about how much I enjoy this. I was really worried that Umbrella Academy season three would get lost in, you know, the time movement. Season two wasn't the strongest to me. Uh, it was okay, but it kind of got caught up in its own soapy drama too much for me. Um, and not enough of the superhero fun and irreverence and action and stuff like that. Uh, but three has done a good job by introducing the Sparrows who turn out to be an entertaining group of people. Um, you know, this alone for just my girl, Genesis Rodriguez, who has always been great, but so just like fun and charming in this role. And her arc with uh, Luther is just so funny and kind of great. But um, the Sparrows are a much needed shot of life into mm. the series and letting Ben do something different. The actor who plays Ben now play a completely kind of different version of himself is all fun. Everybody hates. Yeah, that everybody hates is all kind of fun. The Sparrow Academy powers and all that stuff is, are pretty cool. And they're interesting. And their dynamic with Umbrella Academy is kind of gives this show a whole new kind of, you know, ensemble dynamic to play with. And it's wonderful. Plus, all your kind of favorite classic things from each of the characters are still very much intact. Like Klaus is still very much Klaus. 
and Klaus parts are great. And, you know, even some of the stuff that they do with some of the other characters are less annoying and more kind of effective in this setting. Like Luther is much funnier and better. Luther's and, great. Yeah. And letting him have actual fun in, in the season is much better idea. Um, even Mother is playing a much more fun and kind of crazy role in this. Uh, yeah. And so, like, I'm enjoying it so far. And, you know, Umbrella Academy, I, I'm mostly impressed that in the era where we've gotten so much new superhero content and things that haven't worked, whether it's Jupiter, you know. Oh, you know, Jupiter's Legacy. Yeah, Jupiter's Legacy or things like The Boys, which can easily be with this bombastic kind of in your face nature just overshadow is this still feel, feels like a very good and kind of rich watch to kind of get myself into. I also love how the show has been very meta about the Elliot Page of it all oh. and how kind of charming and endearing it has been with the way they handle that. Um, yeah, that changed because as we know, Elliot Page is very different than what we saw in previous seasons. And the show integrates that in a way that really takes and lets you know this cast has really, you know, how tight knit and kind of like a little surrogate family they've come become over yeah. these seasons. and them dealing with that has been it is really sweet and kind of there are these little meta moments like luther and the party and all that and you know diego like do you he wants to throw you a party he wants you to feel loved do you feel loved i do <laughs> like okay <laughs> we're like over this and they move so uh yeah and um yeah i mean i like uh, somebody's asked me how do i like Elliot page's character i i like i like victor better than i like vanya i like the storylines like i said vanya's a, vanya to victor is another one where Victor gets to do more than just brood, right? Like, yeah. and just sit around like Luther was and just being sad all the time. And it's a lot of fun to, to see that. Like the scene with Marcus in the diner where, you know, Victor's just telling him like, yo, man, I don't want to like leave mess you up, but like, that's what's going to happen. And I beat you behind in front of everybody. Everybody's going to know. And like, you don't want that. And so they're doing a lot more fun stuff and they get scene. to cut out and they get to cut loose now. They're comfortable in these roles. They know what the show is. They know what it's not. And like, they're just all kind of having fun with it. And it's more fun for, for me, at least. That clearly sticks out to me so far because it's no, no secret that I did not love season two. And yeah. I, I just went away halfway through. I was like, I'm done. It lost me. And I was just not, I was checking out. And part of it was that, you know, we were doing one kind of repeat of season one from a story perspective. But two, just like the characters didn't feel like they were really kind of going anywhere. It kind of felt like yeah. everyone was staying in place. And from the get go here, it feels like everyone's having more fun. And I don't mean just by like the musical sequences or any of those things. I just mean like them as characters. It just feel like it's just everything feels more organic and it's fun to watch them interact again. And that was the way it was in the first season. There was more dysfunction there, but it's still fun to watch them interact. And here we have that back. And then you bring in the sparrows, giving them not only a challenge, but also shaking things up from a power perspective. And then you have the plot also doing enough to kind of shake things up. So I, I enjoyed this far more than I thought. I was not super excited, but I wanted to give it a chance. And I'm still watching episodes. So like it's done its job. It's, it's got me back in. So I'm hoping it can stick the landing. My, yeah, me too. Very much me too. Because uh, yeah, I'm unexpectedly really enjoying this. All right, that's Umbrella Academy. Let's move on to comics because this has been kind of the most exciting high point of the week right here. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of great comics this week. Uh, we're going to start with Batman, the night number six. Again, we're moving into this is the tale of Bruce's story as he's kind of going from 
master to master, learning these techniques to be kind of the ultimate crime fighter with his friend Anton. And here is the one we've kind of been waiting for. Uh, again, spoilers incoming for these issues that are coming up. So FYI, in case you haven't read. But this is kind of the one we've been waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like, what is what is really going on with Anton? What, like, is he, can we trust him? Can we not? And we get the answer here. And it's about as complicated as you'd expect, because it's not a straightforward, he's a villain. But it's, you know, he's looking for something different than, than Bruce. And we, we get that play. And we also get just a, again, they've been knocking it out of the park with these, these different masters that they've been learning from. And here, I want to make sure I get his name right. Um, it is, let's see. Uh, what is his name? Swiss, ah, uh, Luca Jungo is his name. I, was, I knew I was going to butcher that if I didn't look it up. Uh, but it's such a cool one. I'm a sucker for a bow and arrow. But I'm always a sucker for like archery and stuff. So this is cool from that perspective. And it's also cool how you see like Bruce's knowledge from different, from the other previous stops kind of inform here, like the scene with the bird and where he's able to kind of judge the winds and stuff like that. So you're getting a practical effect from all these things. And you're also getting like how Bruce sticks apart from all these other people who are looking to amass these skills. Excellent fight. I, I, the consequences, you, again, you keep seeing the thing reinforced of like why Bruce does not like guns from a very practical perspective. And I just, I dug this issue. I've loved the series so far. What'd you think? Yeah, I mean, this series is quickly becoming like one of the best Batman stories I've read in years. And like you and I have been saying, like, I cannot wait till this is just captured in one yeah. big graphic novel, because this is going to be like one of the best Batman graphic novel reads you could ever, I mean, one of those like multi or like hundred pages of hundreds of pages of story that you're going to be glad to have that thick, yeah. that thick monster on your table because yeah, I was so hard on the first issue of this series, but then every other issue has just blown me away. And this was no different because Chip Zdarsky is just doing a great job of making this very episodic anthology of that's what we want, which is the simple story premise, easy to follow in the overarching sense. This is just a collection of how Batman gained each of his skills. Yeah. And each one has a mentor. It's like that weird uh, thing of... Uh, <laughs> Famous thing from Thundercats where Lionel had to go on the leadership quest and he had to fight each of the Thundercats yeah. like through a different skill. But um, it works and it's so good. And each of the mentors is interesting. And each of kind of the thematic stories that Sadarsky breaks into each of these skills Bruce is obtaining. Like what does it take? What does it cost? And what does it kind of, what is the kind of future impact we see on Batman and the legacy of Batman that we know? And each one is really tight in its own storytelling while still telling a larger serialized story. And this one was just so good about the nature of killing and why do they learn these skills and what's the point of it. And, you know, Batman's the guy who wants to learn all these skills so that he can stop the best people who have these yeah. skills. While Anton is revealed, you know, to be a very different. He just wants to be the best. Yeah. And he doesn't care about the morality of it all. And it is kind of like this weirdly, slightly homoerotic kind of, you know, not in a bad way, but like friendship, maybe more than a friendship story that ends in brokenheartedness for both men. And like, yeah, and is really sad by the end. And you're just like, huh, and like, you know, the saddest thing you see again about Bruce Wayne is his loneliness, right? Um, you know, he thought he had a friend and like a true blue friend there. And then he realized his friend was nuts. 
And you see why Batman would then become nuts about working with partners and yeah. doing that stuff. And he just nails it on all these different levels. And it, it's, yeah, it's such a good thing. And like, yeah, that Bruce Anton thing with them just partnering for those issues was so much fun. Uh, and this was like a heartbreaking resolution and just, yeah, even just some surprise and just dark moments in this, like just blowing that guy's yeah. head off, like their, their teacher yeah. and just, and it's, it's what we talk about too, with star Wars, right. With, and you can talk about with Obi-Wan and some other things you introduce characters that like, we know that, you know, Anton's not, doesn't play a huge part in Bruce's yeah. life later on. Right. So you go, okay, something's gotta, gotta happen to where he checks out. So you already kind of have that expectation going in and it doesn't matter because by the time they get you to this point, you are invested, you care. You're like, I, I want to know why that doesn't work. And so it's just amazing to see what he's done in just several issues. So I cannot wait to see how this ends. I agree with you. I, I'm not the biggest like hardcover person, where I just have to have everything collected. This is one I do. Like this is one I hand to people and go, you want a Batman story? You read this. This is a great hopping on point and get you to understand the character in a different way. Uh, so let's move on to another fantastic <laughs> DC book, Black Adam, Black Adam number one. This is one I was hyping up uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Christopher Priest and uh, Rafa Sandoval. This is a limited series that is kind of in its own continuity so it doesn't directly tie to like what's been going on justice league things like that and it is really a story about it's examining teth adam as the person behind the powers in a very interesting way it's also obviously got big it starts out with a huge fight between like him and dark side so it's got all your superhero punch punch like it's got all that but what's most interesting is how it deals with this series is really when we talked to christopher priest not too long ago this whole series is really going to be looking at Black Adam's legacy and how he views it, how he kind of comes to understand what it is at this point in time. And we are introduced to a character named Malik. And Malik is like immediately is one of my favorite new new characters because he's <laughs> he's actually uh, he's a doctor and he's in there like working on this like white supremacist. <laughs> And he's just giving them every, it's so great. Cause like he's unconscious. So he's just saying all this stuff and he's just like, you better like the, the it's hilarious. It's an amazing sequence. And he won me over completely when he started, I think it's someone comes in and he's like, he's talking to him about the relevance of Wu-Tang. Yeah. That's <laughs> such a great, such a great line. Oh, his dialogue. Oh, everything that kid, like Malik says is such, it he's instantly <laughs> just jumps off the page as a character. So good. Um, and you know, for where the issue is taking this, yeah. you can see why that like he a is going to be a good fit for this and why you design a character with those qualities because right. yeah he is uh, very black adam ish in terms of just kind of you know not arrogance but very solid level of confidence yeah. in himself and just this kind of way of playing with people around him like you know just verbally he very obviously very intelligent but just kind of has a sharp wit that he's yeah. just dancing around people around him the whole time and seeing that I cannot wait to see them together because obviously where this issue leaves is that legacy question you know Black Adam has a lot of descendants and there is one key descendant that can maybe take over this and we've already got a look at him uh in the suit the, they released it so like it looks like he's going to be named Bolt after obviously Thunderbolt right so we've seen a look at the, of the suit and everything. And it's cool because it's actually an all white suit with the with the big kind of gold power symbol. But just seeing how I cannot wait to see full issues of him interacting with Black Adam because Priest writes a really interesting Black Adam as well. Black Adam's like taking the 
<laughs> he's taking the subway and he's like the some of the interactions he's having because this is the only interaction i just find it really refreshing that this is the only interaction he gets really like he's such a powerful being and yes he runs a country but he's not really interacting with everybody throughout so like when he reverts and he's just himself without the powers and he's interacting with like the government and he's going to, like that's what he has to do to just get some kind of human interaction it's very interesting stuff i i really dug the examination of him and i feel like in the last two years black adam has been one of the most surprising characters that dc's had because they've done so much with him lately yeah i haven't read so much so i didn't know like about like tent adam tent adam and all that stuff but uh yeah it's very intriguing to see him with like an alter ego and going the full shazam of it all um yeah and what's happening to him and like what's kind of happening to his powers this was a great start and like we love kind of setup issues and this was a this was a really good one and it was actually making me interested in black adam just in time oh look at that who would so you got some star wars for um us. yeah i'm not gonna take too long in this because i want to keep it moving so we can end the show properly on time but uh yeah star wars crimson rain number five is out and crimson rain is the second part on the crimson dawn trilogy that has been unfolding in star wars comics it started with the excellent War of the Bounty Hunters crossover, which was last summer. My Man. goodness. Wow. Yeah, what a year. <laughs> a year goes. But um, and so this year, so for 2021, it was War of the Bounty Hunters. And toward 2022, we got Crimson Rain, which was examining how Lady Kira from Solo had infiltrated the Empire, the Rebellion, all sides of that after Empire Strikes Back and kind of was moving pieces around and, and influenced a lot of the stuff that happened to make Return of the Jedi happen and Han Solo's rescue from Jabba the Hutt and all this other stuff. So this issue kind of ends that storyline and sets up the third part, which is called The Hidden Empire. And this issue uh, is, much, is very much a talkie. There's not a whole lot of action. Uh, it's basically that Lady Kira has been scheming and playing everybody and her whole kind of thing has been anonymity. Her agents are secret. They're embedded everywhere. She did some things like kill the Emperor's whole Crimson Guard just to make a point by poisoning them all to say, show you we, we could get at you. Um, and so this is the issue where Vader has pieced together what she's doing. Um, now the Emperor is aware and now they're going to war because her real goal has been revealed to not play the Empire, but to destroy the Sith is what she's really after. And she believes that she can get rid of Palpatine, then she'll free the whole galaxy and, you know, that they're all under his boot. So... That's what they're doing. That's kind of the chess game they're playing. And in this issue, Palpatine and Vader finally come, you know, get on the same page about, oh, we got to get this Crimson Dawn and this lady. They, they figure out she's been trained by Maul uh, because Vader fought her and she, they figured out, oh, Maul did this. And so now they're coming for her. But the other side of it, Kira is always one step ahead. That's her whole thing. She's a mastermind. And so she has sent the Knights of Ren to Vader's castle to steal this thing. And now they go on a quest and they find some kind of artifact. We don't know what it is, but it's something that could presumably, you know, kick some Sith butt. And so now both sides are kind of arming up. And in December, in this fall, I think maybe late fall, we'll get the start of the Hidden Empire, which will be the Sith versus Crimson Dawn in kind of open combat. That's be awesome. Uh, and it ends with Kira activating all her agents and saying, yo, get them. And like, so it's on, it's war. And this is, again, has been a really exciting kind of retcon of Star Wars original trilogy continuity. My only fear is they're going to wrap this up in a neat little bow and just kill off Kira and Crimson Dawn because the Sith obviously continue right. on to Return of the Jedi. But, you know, you can't ask for too much from Star Wars comics, but I do hope they leave the door open for Amelia Clark's Kira to kind of sneak back into the franchise in the later eras or somewhere else. I don't else. think you put this much 
Neither effort. do I, but you never know. Yeah, it's true. I just, I mean, to put this much effort and do it well and, and like successfully bring not only her, but like this organization, all this other stuff to, and then to get rid of it would be to me, it's just like, yeah. you got to leave that door yeah. open. So that's Crimson Rain. And if you want to check out, um, I suggest, I highly suggest going back and checking out War of the Bounty Hunters, which is better than this middle section. This middle section was a little muddled. Each issue was some of the issues were like weird departures. Yeah. Um, but Hidden Empire looks like it's going to be worth it. So yeah, check that out. And our poll winner. Oh yeah. So we got Moon Knight number 12. It, you know, it makes me happy that one of the things I can rely on is that if Moon Knight is in the poll, 95% of the time it's going to win. <laughs> it's it's as sure as Batman. It's Batman and Moon Knight. How amazing is that? So to DC's say? Batman and Marvel's Batman. I love it. Yes, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So we got Moon Knight number twelve. This uh, ends this kind of first year long arc, and this very much does feel like a finale. It brings the Zodiac battle to a to a fitting close. It leaves some stuff open, obviously, but it but it brings it to a fitting close. But one of the things I've loved about McKay's run so far is that it also while speeding towards the the kind of the climax, it's revealing new mysteries that we're going to explore in that second year, right? Because obviously Moon Knight's not going anywhere and hopefully McKay is not going anywhere because I love this team. Uh, I'm gonna, I always feel like I'm, I'm, I want to butcher his name, but Cappuccio is the uh, artist. Oh my God, this book is just stunning. Oh, yeah, the art, the stunning. Oh, so I don't want this creative team to go anywhere. I want them to stay. But opening up the the burial site and like having like where do all the other people that were once holding this mantle go and opening that up and like that scene where all of the different Moon Knights come out and he's got this Moon Knight army. That's fantastic. That's the stuff like dreams are made of. Damon's dreams, <laughs> Damon's dreams says it's Capuccio. Oh, okay. Capuccio. So it's just one of the, like such a great issue. There's so much here. There is some tragedy as well. And it kind of opens up with that. We, we get some great Reese scenes. Like there's a lot of really great stuff yeah. here. And then the final thing hits and you're, you're kind of waiting for something like some shoe to drop. And then of course it's Stephen Grant who yeah. we haven't seen this entire time. And much to my delight, because again, this is not my favorite kind of aspect of, of Moon Knight. But now, like having him come in now and where he steps in all those things, there's so much intrigue around why he waited, what's happening now, all that stuff. So like we have such a great launch pad for the next year. And this was just awesome. I, I love this issue. What do you think? No, I mean, I love this whole arc with Zodiac and the, like how depraved he is. And I like that Moon Knight got his own kind of Joker. Um, yeah. And this was a good old fashioned street fight. And it got real like people got i mean r.i.p soldier i know man um but yeah people got taken out moon knight got crazy you know conchu had to he had to make some crazy deal with conchu to kind of get things going and we had some crazy mystical craziness with zombie moon knights and so yeah and just i love that they put so much effort and dialogue in some of the most extensive dialogue we got was just Hunter's Moon doing the prayer I know. to put all the zombie Moon Knights away. And it's this long dialogue section. And I was just like, but, but it worked because you saw like how he had to use like this kind of knowing the rituals yeah. and how to respect them and do all that kind of coax the zombies back into the grave. And like, yeah, it brings such an interesting partnership, too. Yeah, because he's a Moon Knight has a line somewhere. It's like shortly before they was like, oh, Hunter's Moon. Probably knows how to do that. Like yeah. <laughs> he's the one that knows all the books. And like he doesn't know that. That brings up a very interesting thing of are we going to in the next year see the two like the two fists of Conchu actually working yeah. sort of semi together? 
because that is a potent thing. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, Moon Knight's great, 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 great comic book stuff. So if you are not checking that out, like, be sure to It'll be in trade soon. Oh. You'll be able to hit the whole first year, I'm sure. And then the first trade is already out for the first six issues. I would definitely recommend that because if you don't like that, you're probably not going to like anything else. But it's hard to create new villains. Yeah, it is not easy. And they did a great job here. So well Yes, done. they have. So uh, that did it for comics yep. this week. And it was pretty much all winners across the board, man. So it's good because we've had some weak weeks of comics, man. So it's good to get some uh, winners in there. That'll do it for this episode of Comic Book Nation. We are your one-stop spot for everything geek culture. I'm sure one day they'll go back and realize this show did a lot of stuff in advance before somebody else invents another podcast for all of geek culture and thinks they did such a great idea. But uh, <laughs> for now, we're here and uh, we're doing it. So... You know, I'm not going to tell you to join the show or subscribe. At this point, like, I see the numbers every week. It's the same. We have the same awesome crew. It's all the same of you guys and your audience and our community, and we love you. So what we're going to do is make another, and we're going to make some new fan events that we're going to do. And thank you for everybody who came to our hangout a couple fun. weeks ago. That was great to That's get to know fun. some of you guys. Thank you to the random college students that accidentally were looking for their bio study lab and came uh -huh, into our right. stream. Yeah, you guys were welcome, too. We love you. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, at this point, We'll just see you guys next week. And if you are a new random person, we're out there on the podcast stuff. We're out there on the socials. We'll let you find it. But uh, to our main community, love you guys. See you next week. Comic Book Nation, we out. Peace.